Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. I hope we've all recovered from that late-night thriller on Saturday against Houston. It's why March Madness and the NCAA Tournament is, in my opinion, the best three weeks of the year. Joining me in just a minute is beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. But before we get to James, a few news and notes to get us started. It was a great season for Coach Kim Barnes-Arico and her team. They were impressive on Friday in the NCAA Tournament opener against Northern Colorado. Then on Sunday, they found out why Baylor was ranked number two in the country heading into the tournament. We hung around for a while, but just did not match up well against a very long and talented Baylor team. And the end of the season came for Coach barnes Rico, and it was a very good season. Michigan Wrestling finished fifth in the NCAA Championships down in Cleveland over the weekend. Following the event, Coach Joe McFarland announced he would be retiring after 19 years as head coach. Softball powered through the Miami Invitational in Oxford, Ohio, and is 21-6 as they come home. What we've learned so far about this team is that we have outstanding pitching depth. And once again, we will be in the thick of the Big Ten race. This week's spring practice gets underway for Coach Jim Harbaugh and his team. News about anything going on during spring practice is hard to come by, but we'll do our best in the coming weeks to keep you up on what's happening. For now, all eyes are on basketball, and rightfully so. Even though we looked sluggish in both games last week, we found ways to overcome ourselves and our opponents, Montana and Houston. Now it's on to the Sweet 16 for the second year in a row. We get Texas A&M on Thursday, as they not only upset North Carolina on Sunday, but blew them out. So let's hope we're ready to go and play much better on Thursday against A&M. Joining us next on our game day segment is beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. Here on the Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Back with us on our game day segment this week to talk about the Sweet 16 and what happened last weekend in the first round of the NCAA tournament is Michigan Hoops beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. Good morning and welcome back to the show, James. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, Michigan fans, of course, as you know and I know, riding high right now in anticipation of that matchup with Texas A&M on Thursday. But before we talk about that, let's just go back to last weekend. I asked the question, what does it say about this team, James, that they were not at their best against Montana or Houston, but they still won? Yeah, I think that that says a lot about their their defense and I guess the way that they've been able to win uh, this season. I mean, like you said, I, I don't think you can look at any of the starters really played exceptionally well. I mean, Charles had a good game in that first game against Montana where he had a double-double um, with 20 points and 11 rebounds, which was probably one of his better games of the season. But, I mean, if you look at how Muhammad Ali of Rockman played. I mean, he scored, you know, 23 points total in the two games. But I mean, if you look at his shooting numbers, he was only 7 for 26 and, you know, 1 for 12 from three-point range. And, you know, Mo Wagner scored, you know, five points and only had six boards in 32 minutes against Montana. And, I mean, most games, you think they score like that. You know, you have that type of production from your, your stars. You think they're going to lose. But I just think it 
the whole thing about with the defense and the way this team has been able to kind of grind out wins and grit out wins um, says a lot. And also they're getting huge, huge like sparks from the bench, like in the first game against Montana, you had Jerron Simmons come in when everything, they get off to that precarious start and it seemed like everything was unraveling where Montana scored the first 10 points, you know, Muhammad Ali picked up a foul like 11 seconds into the game and Xavier picked up two fouls, you know, before the first media timeout. And then, you know, John came in and helped score, you know, six points, you know, three out of uh, four field goals at one point to really kind of get Michigan's uh, offense on track. And then um, against Houston uh, in the in the second round, you know, Duncan Robinson came in and, you know, hit, hit three three-pointers um, when he first checked in to really kind of get, uh, get Michigan going. And then, you know, Teske had a, you know, obviously tough defense and, uh, you know, some key free throws mm-hmm. uh, late in that second half when, Michigan's offense wasn't able to do nothing to kind of, kind of you know help them, help keep them close until they uh, finish with that wild finish with a pool shot. But yeah, I think definitely with the way that they've been playing, I think it just like I said, I think it just says a lot about their defense because Montana they held them to a season low forty seven points, and then Houston, I think they came in like over their last I don't know how many games they were scoring like at least seventy five points heading into the tournament, and then they held them to. 63 points which was their second lowest total of the season so and if you think about it, i mean if they weren't if they didn't have as many fouls as they did and they didn't send houston to the free throw line they probably could have held them under 60 points in that game so i think i think the way that they've been playing although it hasn't been great offensively i think it speaks volumes to just how much this team has grown as a de- um, on the defensive end oh absolutely and when you cannot find a rhythm on offense which uh, michigan did not in either of those games uh, as we've said, they gritted it out on the offensive end. Then you have to rely on your defense. And, you know, we haven't been able to say that or say that about John Beeline teams for most of his tenure here. But again, we can't say it enough. This defense is very good. And I think it's uh, very safe to say it's why they're in the Sweet 16, James. Yeah, definitely. It was it was, it was was funny because, like, I, I talked to Duncan Robinson after, after they beat Houston. And I was asking him about, like, a big message throughout that locker room was just, you know, I guess is it encouraging that this team is still still alive, although you guys haven't played your best. And you know, I asked Duncan, I was kind of that same question. I mean, that you guys have been getting you know subpar performances from some of your starters, and you guys are still able to do it. Um, you know, pull out these wins, and he just said, yeah, he's like, he's talking about um, you know we haven't been able to win games like this, you know, in my career. You know, this, these are games that you know they obviously would have been on the other end of it. Um, so yeah, it just it says a lot about the steps that this team has taken, especially under, under Luke Yaklitz that, you know, that when things aren't going, when things aren't going right for the offense, that they're able to kind of lock down and lean on their defense to, to at least just keep them in the game and keep them close. Uh, especially when that, especially in that Houston game, I think both Michigan and Houston were ranked in the top 15 and, you know, Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. So it was going to be one of those things where baskets were going to be hard to come by regardless. So um, it seemed like right when, you know, Houston was kind of, starting to pull away when they got like you know that six point lead or something with you know eight minutes to go or something it looked like it was gonna be too much of a hole but then they were able to you know lock down that defense and kind of get some stops to kind of keep you know keep them alive until they got that you know that one five point play to kind of pull them right back in and then got some uh lucky lucky breaks down the stretch with uh you know Devin Davis missing those two free throws with uh 3.6 seconds left or Mm -hmm. four seconds left or whatever it was to kind of give them life Michigan fans were are concerned about the offense we saw. I don't think we've seen two games in a row during the season where the offense was that out of sync or just it, it just could not get it together for any period of time. 
But going back, I know this is uh, hindsight, but you had the long layover from the Big Ten tournament. Do you think that had any effect on what we saw last weekend? I mean, I'm sure there, I'm sure there is some risk to it. I mean, obviously, if you're sitting for that long and you're you're not able to really, I mean, you can only do so much in, in practice and scrimmage and against your same guys. You can't really simulate that same game atmosphere, and especially in an environment like the NCAA tournament, you know, where you know it's one and done. I mean, there's so much pressure on on everyone. So I think, I guess you could you could see it from, especially against Mon- against uh, Montana in the first game, when uh, everything wasn't going well. I think Michigan missed their their first six shots in that game, and everything didn't look look like it was going right. I, I could see that um, in the in the Montana game. I guess you could allude to it being rust, but I don't really think there was really any excuse in the uh, in the Houston game. I just think that was just more so two two defensive teams. I think that was more of a defensive battle where. It was just teams were grinding out points, and it was just going to be one of those games where baskets were going to be hard to come by. Yeah, some some players kind of said, I guess, you know, it was a little yeah. rusty. They were a little out of rhythm with uh, against Montana. And I think you can also attribute some of that to the foul trouble, too, with, mm-hmm. you know, getting some of the starters, picking up those early fouls, and they them to the bench. So, I mean, they, they really weren't able to get, you know, into a, a rhythm offensively or defensively a lot early on in that, in that game. Well, we gritted that one out against Montana, and the Houston game was really excruciating to watch at times. Uh, but that last shot, James, from a freshman, Jordan Poole, it really is what makes this tournament and this time of the year so special, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at he only played four minutes in the second half, and uh, up to that point, I mean, he didn't even attempt a shot in the in the second half until the the game winner. Um, so I mean, that's just kind of ironic. But I mean, yeah, it's funny because uh, you know, obviously Jordan Poole was the big, uh, you know, the the main guy that everyone talked to in the locker room afterwards, and he was talking about you know, in years past, he was saying you know he didn't really even used to watch the NCAA tournament games. He just he always just used to watch uh, one shining moments. So it just seemed like that was always uh, the type of thing he was looking for, and he. Uh, he had his one shining moment, and he says that's actually a, like a shot that he practices all the time. Like you know, if they're doing shoot around and he sees the clock going down, he'll wait till it gets down, you know, to the last seconds and try to attempt that shot. And um, it's something he doesn't practice a lot, I guess. According to Jordan, he said he was five for six in those situations in practice, and mm-hmm. he actually hit he actually hit that a similar shot when before Michigan left for Wichita, Michigan had a an interest crowd scrimmage that was open to the media. And uh, he actually hit a game-winning three, like, you know, right before the buzzer uh, and that, too. So I think that's just one of those th- those moments that uh, Jordan Poole kind of lives for and he's not he's not afraid of. And he was saying, like he was talking to the media afterwards, he was thinking, like, obviously when they're down, you know, uh, two points, you know, with 3.6 sec- you know, seconds left before the season's over, he's he wasn't even thinking about the loss. He was talking about, he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm thinking about – you know how crazy is it going to be when I'm when I hit this shot? So um, he's just definitely wired completely different. And uh, I mean, yeah, that was just that was just typical, you know, March Madness type thing where it seemed like you know Devin Davis was going to the line to hit two free throws and seal the game, you know, and seal uh, Michigan season, you know, and send them packing. And then uh, he he misses those two two free throws to to give him hope, and it just seemed like. You know, just a typical March Madness type thing where they got the breaks they needed and then, you know, they get the miraculous shot off. And on Monday, I, Keldon Sampson, uh, Houston's coach, I should say, he thought his team should have won, which I, I would expect him to say. But, man, as you just mentioned, they had their chances. They, uh, they went to the stripe late in the game, could have locked the game down. But uh, as always happens in March, it's the team 
in so many cases that might not play better than their opponent, but makes the big play or plays when they had to, and that is exactly what Michigan did. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like Devin Davis, if you look, he finished 9 for 12 from the Mm -hmm. free throw line, and all three of his misses came within the final minute. Um, so I mean, he he they I mean, if you think if they're hitting their free throws, I mean, Michigan probably would have never had a chance. And, right. I mean, granted, Michigan had their chances down that stretch. I mean, there was there was the shot that uh, I, th- I believe it was Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman had, and then Charles Matthews had that tip in that rolled around the rim, and and it fell off, and it seemed like oh, like that would have gave them the lead right there, and then. You know they they got the ball back with 20 seconds or so left, and you know they were had a chance to to tie it. And then Muhammad, you know, he got the clear lane and uh, his layup. I mean, he just kind of missed that layup. I mean, he had a open lane and he had open look at the rim and it rolled off. And you know, right there, it seemed like I mean they were they were talking about like I, you know we talked to Muhammad Ali after the game and he's just thinking you know he's talking about how he had to keep a steel face and he thought right then he's like he thought we were. I thought the season was over after he missed that layup, but you know, as as the case, I mean, they got the they got the break with Davis missing two free throws, and and Mo Wagner said after the game, he's like, you know, we know we're blessed. I mean, you know, that type of stuff doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, they're definitely. I think they definitely know that they were able to escape and that they were, you know, if those free throws, you know, just two of those free throws go uh, drop, you know, in that last minute, that this is a completely a uh, different story and outcome with us on our game day segment this week as we look back at the last weekend's action in the uh, ncaa tournament and now ahead to the sweet 16 is a michigan basketball beat writer james hawkins from the detroit news all right james on thursday it's texas a&m a team that not only beat north carolina but blew them out it was just so surprising to me how they handled them in the paint i did not expect to see that but again another example of what can happen if you do not bring your A game in March. Yeah, I mean, Texas A&M is, a, is an intriguing team. I mean, they really weren't playing that well towards the end of the season. They were, you know, they racked up some losses, and they weren't, I guess you would necessarily say, a hot team uh, heading into the tournament. Like, they lost in their, you know, SEC opener, a tournament opener, and um, so they weren't really riding high or riding any sort of momentum heading into this thing. But, I mean, they have, I mean, if you look at their roster, they, they have probably one of the best, um, big men tandem in the nation, and they have a, a really massive front line. I mean, you know, they got Tyler Davis, who's their who's their center, a six foot ten guy, and then they have, you know, the sophomore forward, you know, Robert Robert Williams, who's like a projected first round draft pick. I mean, if you look at what those two guys have been able to do so far in the tournament, they're both averaging double doubles. Mm-hmm. And as as you said, yeah, I mean, they they manhandled North Carolina, and when you and when you think about it, if you look back at Michigan season, I mean. North Carolina is the one team you could say in that game they completely dismantled Michigan. I mean, outside from those first five minutes where it was a, a shootout where they were just trading baskets. I mean, but those those next you know 35 minutes, North Carolina just completely dominated Michigan in that game. Um, so yeah, Michigan's definitely going to have some some problems with A&M. I mean, they have they're, they're massive, like I said. I mean, they have a huge front line. I mean, they're they're starting front courts, you know. Six foot nine, the forward DJ DJ Hogg, and then Robert Williams is six ten, two forty, and Tyler Davis is six ten, like two sixty two sixty five. So they're a massive team, but and they also run a, that two three zone, two three zone though. So uh, it's going to be one of those things. It's going to seem be like which team is able to take advantage of the mismatches more. I mean, obviously with the zone, they're going they're going to you know there's going to they're going to have to shoot. Michigan's going to have to shoot A and M out of that, so to speak. So they're going to have to 
really knock down their three-pointers. I mean, I'm sure they're going to get plenty of open looks, but as we know, Michigan hasn't been the greatest three-point shooting team, I guess, as we're, as we're used to under uh, Coach John Beeline. Um, but, yeah, I think it's this is also going to be a game where Michigan is going to need Mo Wagner to actually stay on the court and yeah. avoid picking up these, you know, these careless fouls or, I mean, I guess you could, you know, people, you know, think, I guess you could say the refs are calling the game a little tighter in the NCAA tournament, but mm-hmm. that's something that Michigan has to adjust to. So um, this is definitely a game where Michigan, it's going to come down to if Michigan's hitting their threes and it's going to come down to possessions too. I mean, they're probably, Michigan's probably not going to win the, the rebounding battle against Texas A&M. I think they rank, you know, in the top five in the nation in rebounds, but this is going to be one where it's going to come down to hitting their threes, probably shooting, I would say, around 40% or so um, from three-point range, and then they're going to have to win the possession battle. They're going to have to limit those second possessions from A&M. You know, absolutely, and, and as you said, I think the key, too, is hitting those three-point shots to get A&M out of that zone because if we don't, then it's, we've got problems because when you look at that team, as you mentioned, they have two 6'10 guys uh, uh, in the paint, and they have five players, 6'9", at least 6'9", uh, that are in that rotation that's where the mismatch is. If we can get them out of that zone, spread them out, then they're going to have problems with Michigan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have they have that big six uh, ten guy who comes off the bench for them too. The Tony Troca Morales. I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but if you're listening, Tony, I, I apologize if I mispronounce <laughs> your name. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have they have just size on top of size that keeps just rolling off the bench. Um, but yeah, it's definitely definitely I think it is going to come down to their outside shooting to kind of open things up. And as we said, you know, Mo is going to have to be a He's, he's always a mismatch against any team he plays. Not many people have a stretch five like like Michigan does. So it's gonna it's gonna come down to him to hit some hit some shots. And I mean, if you just look at kind of how they shot in the first in the first few games, I mean, I mean, the game against Montana, Michigan shot you know five for sixteen from three point range, and mm-hmm. then against uh, Houston, they shot eight for thirty. So I mean, over those two games, they're thirteen for forty six, which is not good at all. I mean, I no. think that's. 30% or sub 30% might be like 28% or something. So, but I mean, I think if you, if you think about it though, they were getting plenty of open looks. I mean, Muhammad Ali, I mean, he had, he's like one for 12 combined, but a lot of those were, were open looks that he was getting. So, I mean, I don't think it's, you're going to see him shooting that poorly from three point range too often. So it's got, it's definitely going to be one of these games where when Michigan gets their looks, they're going to have to knock them down or else they're going to end up, they're going to be packing their bags and, and heading home. Oh, absolutely. And let's uh, look ahead, and always dangerous thing to do, but uh, let's do that. If we get by A&M, it's the winner of the Florida State and Gonzaga game. Do you think the Seminoles can take down Gonzaga the way they're playing right now? Oh, boy. I mean, I don't – I mean, I think anything is uh, anything is possible, especially in uh, – as we know, in this West region, like, you know, uh, Michigan is the, uh, the, the last uh, – or the highest seed standing, I guess. Uh, so, I mean, they're going to have that target. But, I mean, yeah – Definitely, everything's possible. I mean, as we know, they knocked off the the top seed Xavier in the in the West region. So, I mean, they definitely they're definitely riding high and they have that momentum. And um, but I mean, Gonzaga is never a never an easy out. I mean, they we know that they made it a uh, you know they made it all the way back to the the national final uh, last season. So I mean, they're they're a they're a solid team. But I think they're one of those teams too that's ranked in the top ten in both uh, Ken Palm's offensive and defensive efficiency. So. I mean, they're just Gonzaga's just a solid team all around, but um, I don't know. That's gonna be a tough one, but I would have to. I mean, if I had to pick, if you put uh, you know put me a, put me on the spot, I would I would have to say that Gonzaga's probably gonna 
probably going to pull out pull out that one. I would think so too, but having seen both teams and really only having seen them in the tournament, Gonzaga plays so late at night on the West Coast that I don't think most of us in the Midwest or the East get a, a good look at them uh, during the season. But they, to me, from what I've seen, look like a much tougher matchup for Michigan if that's who we play. Right, yeah, as you said, I mean, they play on the West Coast. I haven't really been able to see much of uh, much of Gonzaga play. I haven't really actually been able to see much of any any of these NCAA tournament games, um, unfortunately, just with, uh, you know, busy covering Michigan. But, yeah, I think if, like I just said, I think Gonzaga is probably the better uh, overall all-around team. And it's never, you never want to play these teams that kind of have that experience of making these deep runs, like, uh, obviously, like Gonzaga did last season. So, uh, I think probably for Michigan, I think they'd probably want to see uh, – probably see Florida State more. Um, but, I mean, at this point of the season, I mean, people kind of – you can get caught up on, you know, Florida State being a nine seed and Gonzaga being a four seed. But, I mean, once it gets this late late in the stages, I mean, you can really just throw the seeding out. I mean, you know, obviously Michigan's a three seed playing against A&M, who's a seven seed. But, I mean, this point doesn't really matter. I mean, every team, every team that's playing now is going to be good. Um, but, yeah, I think Florida State would probably – be the one team if, if Michigan's able to advance. I think that probably they'd, they'd like to see that more so than uh, Gonzaga. Well, anything can happen in the tournament, James. We see it every year. We, we saw it last week. But do you think, unless Michigan really gets it going, gets that offense in sync, that they have what it takes to make it to the Final Four? Or do you just have a hunch it's going to end this weekend? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I thought once once uh, it got into those the final few seconds there against A&M, I was – I was writing my story, you know, I had my story ready to go that they had their chances in there uh, <laughs> and, you know, they came up short, but then, you know, uh, miracles happened. But, I mean, they definitely, definitely have what it takes to, to get to the Final Four. I mean, if, I mean, just, just look at how they played. I mean, not many teams can say that they played, I guess, as poorly as Michigan has. I mean, I don't want to say poorly. I mean, as they didn't play anywhere close to their potential or nowhere near their best. And not many teams can say that they played, played like that and made it to the Sweet 16. So, I mean that's that's what makes Michigan a scary team at this point. I mean if they play how they're capable of playing, if their offense is able to get into a rhythm like it has been throughout the season, I mean definitely I think Final Four is without a doubt within reach. Um, but like I said, I mean if if they come out and they play like they have these these first two games, um, I don't think they they stand any chance of advancing to the Elite Eight. And I think that they uh, they will be a stop short against A&M on uh, on Thursday if that happens. Well, Purdue and Michigan are the only two Big Ten teams left, and the Boilers, as we know, are without Haas in the Sweet 16. Do you think they can overcome his loss and get to the Final Four? Because that is a tall order. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, that's I mean that's always tough when you you rely on a guy for so long. I mean, throughout the entire season, that you have to switch things up and. I mean, obviously I have Matt Harms, but he's kind of a, a, a different guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's more of a, a defensive guy. and he, I mean, he's kind of a – obviously has more mobility than Haas um, on both ends. But, I mean, that's just – that's still a huge loss, and that's what gave Purdue such an advantage over a lot of teams. I mean, you can't teach, you know, size, you know, seven two, three hundred pounds or whatever Haas was. He's just <laughs> a load in the paint. Um, I mean, I think that's going to be a, a huge, huge loss for them to overcome. I mean, I mean, in the round of 32, they were able to – Edge by Butler. I mean, that was only a three-point win. Um, I, I, I can't. I don't know. I think that's going to be a tough thing. I mean, it's going to force them to go small at times. Maybe with Vince Edwards at the five, but that's just that's kind of just a tough order for you know Matt Painter to kind of have to push on short turnarounds and new opponents that you you know you're not used to. You have you know you got to scout on uh, short notice. Um, that, that's that's got to be a tall order to kind of you know reconfigure and adapt on the fly. Um, so I don't know. I think that's 
I could kind of I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of fall short in the Sweet 16 just because, like I said, it's always tough to, to mm-hmm. lose a, a pivotal and key player like like Isaac Haas. Um, kind of pull out pull out wins at this at this point in the season. Well, last question for you, James. Uh, we don't know how it will end the next four days or if it will, uh, but I hope we can take time out to enjoy and appreciate. What an outstanding coaching job we've seen this year. Now, it might not be his best. People will debate that, but it's got to be darn close. John Beeline has done a remarkable job again with this team, hasn't he, James? Yeah, I think coming into the season, I think we had this conversation uh, on one of, your, one of your podcasts earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think without a doubt, you can, you can say that Michigan exceeded expectations. I mean, I think they have all season long. I don't think many people expected them. To, to finish as well as they did, I mean, in the Big Ten. I get, granted, you know, the Big Ten was, was down this year. I don't think it was, you know, as – it was more top-heavy than I think most people were expecting. Um, and, I you know, I don't know if many people expected them to, to win the Big Ten tournament title again. And then I don't think, you know, many people expected them to, to make it to the Sweet 16 again. But, I mean, yeah, that's definitely, a, a, you know, a, a tribute to, to John Beeline. And, I mean, if you think about it, like, just look at what they were – I mean, and that was – in this this last minute against Houston, um, it seemed like when everything was kind of falling apart when they had their chances. I mean, he's he's one of those guys where he kind of had that steel face and he kept calm. I mean, he just you know looks to the bench, you know, and that when you get you know the three point six seconds left, you know, between you know moving on or going home. I mean, he's just like, hey, what's our best play? You know, he kept kept his calm, kept his composure, you know, got kept the team you know confident, like you know, kept them believing, you know, that they're not out of it still. You know, we still had that one chance, and definitely, I mean, I, I like you said, I mean, um, you know, people can, you know, debate whether it's, you know, been one of his, uh, you know, his best coaching jobs, but I mean, if you think of, look at who, what this team has lost and who it, who, who it has playing, and I mean, the young guys that it's brought along, I mean, I think it's definitely, you can make a strong case that this has probably been one of his better uh his better coaching jobs in his career so far. Absolutely. That's what I tell Michigan fans. Enjoy it. You're watching a truly uh, great coach and architect. My guest on our game day segment this week has been beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. Uh, James, as always, we thank you for your time. Enjoy the Western Regional and your time out there in La La Land uh, later this week. And who knows, uh, maybe the next time uh, you're on, we'll be talking about the Final Four. But thanks for your time, James. Appreciate it. Quick hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, freshman right-handed pitcher Sarah Schaefer posted a 2-0 record, earning her first wins of her collegiate career behind 12 scoreless innings of work at the Miami University Invitational last weekend. She threw a five-inning perfect game against Robert Morse, the eighth in program history, and the first by a Wolverine pitcher since 2010, with six strikeouts on just 49 pitches. She also tossed a three-hit shutout with six strikeouts against Dayton in the Wolverines' tournament opener. The Wolverines will make their home debut on Wednesday against Central Michigan and then take to the road for a three-game series against Iowa to get the Big Ten season underway. Michigan is 22-6 heading into this week's action. 
As we mentioned at the top of the show, Coach Joe McFarland announced his retirement after the NCAA championships over the weekend in Cleveland. He led Michigan to a fifth-place finish in this year's tournament. He has been the head man for 19 years and said it has been an honor to coach at his alma mater in the city where he grew up. He added that he and his wife have been talking about this all winter, and they decided this was the right time. So congratulations to Coach Joe McFarland on a stellar run as Michigan head coach. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at The Michigan Man. If you get the show from iTunes, please take a minute to rate or comment on the show. Thank you in advance. That will do it for another edition of The Michigan Man. I'm ready for another nerve-wracking hoops game on Thursday against Texas A&M, and if we can get by them, a date in the Elite Eight with the winner of the Gonzaga-Florida State game also on Thursday night. So I hope on next week's show we're going to be talking about the Final Four, but what a season it has been. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until next time, take care, and as always, Go Blue! Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!